Hello, Alan Smith, and welcome to the Adam Talks podcast. How are you? How are, how have you been doing? Hello, Adam Stevenson. Good to see you. It's been a, a crazy old day. Uh, lots of lots of stuff going on, obviously, in the constituency, also at Westminster. So it's uh, yeah, good to get a moment's peace and uh, time for a chat. Brilliant. Good. Um, how, how have you been doing with this whole COVID and lockdown, and and how have you been managing um, navigating work? and life balance during this COVID crisis? Uh, there's there's not a lot of work-life balance, I have to say. I think <laughs> all politicians of all stripes are, are working flat out just now. You know, we've, we've simultaneously got all the same worries everybody else does in terms of our friends, our family, our, our relatives and the rest. Uh, but we've also got a sense of responsibility, uh, particularly, I suppose, in Scotland from an SNP perspective, that we're the government, albeit I'm not directly part of the government. But uh, we are working as a team uh, across Stirling as well. We're having weekly meetings with our councillors to coordinate the health and social care stuff, the school meals uh, stuff, which uh, we obviously need to think about during school holidays. Yeah, all of that needs to be joined up. So it's been it, it's been tough, and and the, the weariness and the scratchiness that's set in is everybody's feeling it, myself included. You know, I. I you know, not not poor little me, but I'm midway through a house sale that fell through because of COVID as well. You know, this is this is impacting on all of us. So it's tough, and and uh, I know it's tough. But I've been really proud of the team, the way the team has worked together, and uh, that's that's something that we're going to just need to keep doing because we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah, um, j- just for uh, context uh, for people who will be listening, uh, I-, I knew Alan when I was in the Young Scots for Independence. I believe is that what it was called. It was, it was called the Young Scots for Independence. It's uh, amazing to think that far back. Yeah, oh, you, oh, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> uh, no, I was gonna, I was gonna say that when I, um, when I was involved with the SNP um, as a, a young politician uh, or, or young political enthusiast, I should say, um, it, it was a whole different world. It was a whole different bubble, and I. And now that I'm, I'm out of that whole environment, I still support the SNP, of course, and I'll admit that to anyone, and because I believe in independence. But now that I'm out of that environment, I was just wondering, why on earth, what makes someone become a politician? You weren't, uh, you weren't born and then decide, oh, fuck, I, I want to go into politics. That's going to be really cool. That, that's going to get me, that's going to get me street cred. <laughs> Do you know uh, what I mean? Uh, yeah, quite, quite the reverse. I, I, Everybody finds their own way in. I mean, as, as as you say, I wasn't born into the faith. You know, I, I came to the view that independence was the best thing for Scotland. Uh, after I, when I was at law school in Nottingham, I worked for the local Labour MP a day a week, volunteered. Uh, good guy, uh, had a beard before beards were cool. Uh, came up through the National Union of Mine Workers. He was very much uh, old Labour, but yeah, you know, the, the old civic Labour. You know, the, the, though this was, geez, this was nineteen ninety five. So the Labour Party's changed and then changed a bit and then changed a bit since as well. So a lot of things have changed and my politics really crystallised around independence before it did the SNP. And that was in Brussels when I was working over there, that uh, the Berlin Wall was not long down. Countries that had literally had to face down Yugoslav tanks and Soviet tanks and the, the Red Army uh, to, to regain their independence with way less resources, way less uh, of a starting base than we had were accepted as equals and working as equals and the air in Brussels was crackling with excitement you know with with all of that and that that was that was what I wanted for my country and and I'd always been proudly Scottish but 
not necessarily convinced on the independence stuff, but through that time in Brussels really came to the view that the SNP was the vehicle to deliver independence. And then I joined the party in 96 uh, when I was in London, uh, when I was living there. And the prospect of the re-establishment of the Scottish Parliament was a real thing for the first time ever. You know, it, it shows how much it's changed that you used to have one councillor elected first past the post. You used to have one MP yeah. elected first past the post. You used to have one MEP, whoever the hell they were, uh, elected first past the post. So the, the fact that Scotland's politics now has a proportionality uh, and a plurality to it because of the re-establishment of our national parliament in Scotland. See, that, that, that in itself is an incredible and still very new achievement. You know, a lot of people still take that for granted. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to get into it because I spent too much time shouting at the TV. And uh, by virtue of being part of it, I've been able to help change the face of Scotland and help change the face of the SNP as well, because I now find myself in a senior position within the party. It's my job to encourage the next generation. It's my job to train people up. It's my job to sometimes enforce discipline of what we do, what we don't do, how we behave, how we don't. And the party's changed and Scotland's changed. And that's that's an exciting process that's still ongoing. Um, I've, just, I've just realised I forgot to introduce you. <laughs> So I forgot to say, uh, Alan Smith is an MEP, um, was an MEP and is now an MP. Right, now I've done that, now we can just draw a line under that. Um, I, was specific, I was specifically asking Alan, um, what, what on earth, uh, why on earth you'd want to be a politician? You, you've obviously said independence. But I mean, politicians nowadays, like, they get so much abuse. I mean, and, and sometimes like the Tories voting to take away the free school meals thing, like sometimes I understand why you get so much like dogs abuse. Um, so I suppose my question is, um, what on earth would make someone really in this day and age want to become the person that gets dogs, dogs abuse from everybody? They would have to have some driving factor, like they really care about people. And then if that's the answer, then why the fuck are the Tories <laughs> taking away free school meals for kids? I, I don't get it. P- please explain it to me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can explain a conservative mindset. That's 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 why I'm not one. Uh, the, 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 the latter couple of weeks, we've seen really quite an ugly side to, to, to a lot of the conservative stuff that you know, they, they voted in a way that I think was egregiously offensive. And then they were abused for it on social media. And I condemn all abuse by anybody for any reason. I don't think that's a way to conduct debate. I don't think that's sensible. I don't think it actually helps the argument. But then the lack of political nous of so many of them, and remember, half of them are very newly elected. They're very raw politicians yet. Mm -hmm. They they, they ran to the, the newspaper saying, isn't it terrible we're being abused? Without actually thinking about that, well, maybe maybe they've got a point. Yeah, you know, maybe you did something that was really obnoxious. Yeah, uh, which I think they did, and and I think the boy, uh, the, the footballer boy, uh, Rushcliffe, Marcus Rushcliffe, yeah, yeah. Has, has really hit on a nerve that a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people have put up with austerity, put up with you know, all sorts all sorts of economic instability before COVID, and COVID's made all of that stuff worse. Yeah. So people are really struggling. So the fact that Everybody but the Tories in the House of Commons, you know, Labour, SNP, Green, Liberal, uh, we all voted to ensure that kids didn't go hungry over the school holidays. Now, that doesn't strike me as a controversial standpoint, mm-hmm. but the Tories stopped that. Now, of course, in Scotland, we've got a completely different way of doing it. We have looked after this stuff 
uh, long since, because we don't want to live in a country where kids are going hungry. And free school meals is one way to treat that. I don't think it's the end of the story. I don't think it. I don't think it's a long-term solution. But meanwhile, we've got a problem we need to deal with. Mm-hmm. And the Tories presumably are coming from a place where they think that's that's justifiable. You know, they they, they don't like people being reliant on state handouts. And there's part of me would say that's a legitimate view, but it, there's part of me saying that's putting ideology before objective need of the people we are here to serve. Yeah. Um, in this new modern age uh, of social media and, and whatnot, um, you can tell I'm not very good with it. Um, but um, in this new modern well, what age... Not give it away. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, social media... Yeah, you're not a young Scott anymore, right? Eh? <laughs> oh, uh, hey, I'm only 30, right? I'm still young. Um, right, yeah. What I was going to say. Yeah, in this new... Have you faced abuse online or um, especially during the COVID lockdown? I, I imagine a lot of people are sitting in the house going... Do you know what? I'm just going to send abuse to politicians because that's what I do when I'm uh, drunk <laughs> and sitting in the house alone. Just send abuse to politicians. Did, have you? Yeah, I should really change my mobile. Eh? <laughs> I, yes, I, I, I get toe curling abuse, uh, and all, what, what people don't seem to realise is all politicians' media, social media accounts are monitored by the cops. You know, they, they do keep an eye on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it, it's a regrettable fact of political life that. Anybody with a, a mobile phone or a, an internet connection can set themselves up with an anonymous account and they can tweet away nonsense. And most of it fizzles pretty quickly. But uh, it is regrettable. But I, I think in, in, in terms of the abuse that you're talking about that uh, the Conservatives are getting because of that decision, well, the abuse under, undermines the argument that actually you've made a really bad decision here, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, it, can, it can just be dismissed as abuse. You know, I, I get abuse from, you know, Big Tam 1690 with loads of Rangers you know, symbols in his colours and stuff. And it's like, aye, all right. And I, and I just dismiss it because I'm never going to persuade Big Tam 1690 that, that independence is the way forward. But but I've, I've had, over the years, you know, I'm, I'm an out gay, pro-European nat. There's lots of people don't like that. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, it's, especially Big Tam. Particularly the... The, the, the people who don't who aren't pro independence but but the social media really is a bubble the, the, don't don't know if you saw there was a a study was released by the uh, the the more together foundation which was joe cox's charity mm-hmm. and uh, it actually quantified that the vast majority of the online social media culture worry abusive sort of stuff is coming from a tiny minority of people and most people don't have social media accounts. You know, the, the vast majority of people out there in voter land are not on Twitter, mm-hmm. are not actually paying attention to the latest Twitter sensation or bubble or whatever whatever's going on. So, so trends are more important. And there is a corrosiveness to social media. I've, I've said long since that we should uh, get rid of anonymous accounts because anonymous accounts are far too easy to set up. Yes, there should be protection for whistleblowers, of course. Yes, there should be protection for some people who are in sensitive positions or have abusive partners they don't want to be visible for. But, you know, there's a balance we could strike with that. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the social media companies, and remember, these are all profit-making US corporations. You know, they don't exist for the common good. They exist to make money. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the abuse that, you know, if, if Twitter was serious about its abusive abuse policies, it would have banned Donald Trump long since. Mm-hmm. It didn't. 
because actually the clicks clicks make prizes for Twitter as well. So, mm-hmm. so the, the the dangerous thing, and some a really wise friend of mine uh, I was chatting to uh, last week, uh, he was saying the people who are involved in the IT industry, and I love them all, obviously, but they can be a wee bit socially distant, a wee bit socially awkward, which is why they're, they're geeks. They're geeks. Right. But so, so are politicians. Know, That's all politicians are as well. In some ways, in some ways, I'll I'll take that, but. What we're doing, particularly during COVID time, when we're all locked down and we can't get out and about to meet face to face as much, is we are using a series of systems which were designed by geeks to communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there, there's there's an empathy, there's a context, there's a subtlety that is stripped out of that communication, and the algorithms nudge us towards the different ends of the spectrum rather than the centre where most of us actually are. So so, so social think, media is not reality. I think that is one of the most like revealing things I've ever <laughs> I've ever heard come out of your mouth. I was like, oh my god, that makes sense. If well, geeks, there you go. If geeks create something to communicate, of course it's going to be fucked up. That makes complete sense because geeks struggle to communicate. That's what I took out of what you just said there. Well, that's that's one interpretation, but but it's <laughs> it's also. There was a study done by Liverpool University about 20 years ago, which was fascinating. It was, it analysed the, the crime statistics of whatever the Liverpool soap was, Brookside Close? Brookside, was that it? Brookside, yeah. I, I, yeah I'm, showing, I'm showing my lack of soap knowledge. Uh, Albert Square in EastEnders, uh, wherever the wool pack is in the farm one. That far, Emmerdale, yep, Emmerdale. Emmerdale, and the, uh, the Manchester one uh, with the, the Rovers return and Betty's Hot Pot. I, have, I feel like I'm in a dream right Coronation now. Street. <laughs> Coronation Street. There we go. I, I really should have thought this point through better, but, but it, it, it analysed the crime statistics of the residents of those streets mm-hmm. and compared it with the general crime statistics for England. And if you lived in those four streets, you were 17,000 million times more likely to be beaten up, a victim of crime, have your house catch fire, <laughs> clean land on your pub, you know, it, 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 all, all of that stuff. Because it's not reality. It's mm. hyper-reality. It's entertainment. And sadly, that's where social media is. It looks for the sensation. It, lo- it doesn't look for the, here's a sensible thing where the answer is maybe I, maybe no, but you'll need to think about it. It goes for the black and white sensation. And sadly, that's where a lot of media is as well. And that doesn't help the debate. It, it, and, and politicians of, of all stripes need to be a bit more canny that if, if we're reducing an argument to absurdity, actually we're not helping the people we're there to serve. Yeah, well, I, I suppose um, that's not social media's fault then. Um, it's, it's, actually, it's actually... It's actually... Yeah. Social media is not here to inform you. It's here to make money. But the thing is, then when the BBC or Sky News go uh, uh, or reference social media um it they're putting it in in the realism domain so this unrealistic thing is now a very realistic thing like um let's say there's a twitter scandal and everyone's like really angry about whatever this nonsensical issue is and then the sky news or whoever starts reporting on it it then becomes real i suppose so so it's it's the the news that's at fault then. Well, which is also a factor of the, the lack of investment and, and indeed the cuts that we've seen to, to news organisations. You know, 
I've got lots of sponsor journalists in a number of different news organisations. And yeah, we think we've got it tough. They are under incredible pressure. I was talking to a journalist, in, a really good journalist in a, a major, major, major Scottish newspaper who I was looking for him to come along as my advisor on a foreign affairs trip uh, in the European Parliament. Mm -hmm. So I could have got him along on budget. He could have been part of these high-level, really high-level discussions about uh, the Middle East peace process, you know, a, a fascinating set of things. And I was like, well, look, mate, you, you write the story how you want it. I can get you the access. So long as you mention me a couple of times, that allows me to demonstrate to the folks back home what I'm doing. And the problem was that he couldn't be freed up to get away from his desk for three days because the organisation was that thinly stretched. So, so what the journalists are having to do is to spend far too much time looking at Twitter for their sources of information. Yeah. So yeah. it becomes a self-fulfilling you know, cycle to the bottom. It really does. And, and we need to break out of it. We need to respect public service journalism, public service broadcasting. You know, some, some of the people, some of the management who are in charge of the BBC, I'm deeply worried about because they know they're losing youth uh, audience share. So they're, they're actually adopting all the tactics of the social media company and it's about clicktivism and how does this make you feel and do our silly survey and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's moving away from what actually the BBC is in a unique position to do, but it can be done. Look at Channel 4 News, you know, really yeah. good, well-researched perspective uh, on the on the, the, the news. So, so, so we, we all need to catch ourselves on on this. Yeah. Um, do you pay your TV license fee? I do. Oh, do you? I, I thought that I thought it was a myth that people in Scotland actually paid the TV license fee. Ah, don't be that. You, you heard that on social media for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those conspiracies. I was going to ask you, um, what are you up to just now? What, what have you been working on recently? <laughs> are, are you busy? What What haven't I been working on? I, I, I'm I'm uh, MP for Stirling, obviously, and that's. Uh, uh, it's still a new gig for me. Uh, I was only elected in December. I've been in politics uh, since 2004 when I was elected as a member of the European Parliament. But uh, now representing Stirling, which is a very different sort of role, especially being at Westminster. And especially during COVID when it, it really is all hands to the pump. So I'm also the foreign affairs uh, lead for the party at Westminster. So that involves me in a lot of outreach to uh, embassies, other member state governments, other governments wider than the European Union. So it, it, it's a whole range of local issues right the way up to the Middle East peace process, you know, mm -hmm. what's happening in Syria, what's happening in the Eastern Mediterranean, should Turkey be suspended from NATO membership because of what it's up to at the moment. You know, I'm the person in the SNP team that needs to be on top of that sort of stuff so that I can advise the colleagues wherever we may be. So by way of example, I was looking at my Twitter and one tweet was, it was a... a a great meeting with the Qatari embassy uh, where we've, we've, we've agreed to intervene on their behalf to uh, urge the UK government to do more to end the Saudi blockade of Qatar, which is a dreadful policy. It's bad news for the, the Qataris, bad news for the, the Gulf Cooperation Council, bad news for the Middle East, bad news for Saudi as well. Mm -hmm. uh, then the next tweet was uh, Canvas Bar and Rovers, which is an amateur <laughs> football team saying we're having problems with training during the COVID rules. Can we have a meeting with you? Which we did the, three days later. I saw that uh, on your Instagram, actually. I saw uh, you, there you put go. up a picture of the footballers or whatever they were. It, it was great. We, we, I have got no direct say in 
amateur football and how they can train, what they can train, what they can do. But I do have access to the Scottish government and I am an SNP politician. Mm -hmm. So the benefits of sport, particularly for men, there is a mental health male aspect to this. Uh, The benefits of sport, the benefits of being able to train, being able to go out and play uh, with friends, uh, comrades, uh, is really, really important. And the, the physical, the mental health benefits are clear. Presently, the Scottish government is still working on the, the different tier restrictions and what's possible, what's not possible, what's risky, what isn't. So there's a discussion to be had there to, to balance all those things together. Mm-hmm. And the, fr- from that one tweet, there was about 10 different football clubs represented on that call with my great mate, Bruce Crawford, who's the member of the Scottish Parliament. We run a joint operation. See, and I think he would make a great Santa Claus. He's got the wee cheery red face. I think he'd be a perfect Santa Claus. Well, he'd need a beard. Well, we can, we can, we can find a beard for him. I'm sure. I'm sure. That's, that's, that's true. Well, it, it, he's decided he wants to retire at the next election, so I'll, I'll pass that on. Hmm, but good. but we were able to, to have that chat with him, and it was a good hour and a half round the houses about, you tell us your issues. And we put a letter into uh, Joe Piss-Patrick as the minister responsible, saying, look, mate, here's, here's, here's the word from the street, or here's mm-hmm. the word from the pitch across Stirling. So, so that was really an example of the system working. And then the next tweet after that was, uh, I'm pressing the UK Chancellor for more support for small businesses because if we're going to have additional restrictions for public health measures, as we are going forward, then I think it's necessary that we implement a, a similarly tiered support mechanism of public money for business that's going to take a hit because of that, because there is an economic aspect to all of this. And, and again, it's the mental health aspects of a lot of people who might might not come back from this in business terms and there's all of these things need to be dealt with which which i'm in a unique position to do Mm -hmm. yeah well that's your job isn't it so (laughs) it is is the job i asked for the the thing today that's keeping me busy is the uh, you you may have heard about the russia report a few months back in july uh, the intelligence and security committee of the house of commons didn't, didn't they hide that or something uh, is that hold on just for listeners because uh, it's mainly actors and uh, musicians mainly thick people will be listening to this uh, podcast so um the russia report um was basically with regards to the election in the uk and their and russia's influence it it, it was uh, largely about the the eu referendum and elections subsequently and the, the extent to which there is dark money uh, overseas. I, I actually don't just say Russia. I, I think it's other places, other countries are are able to use social media. Different actors with dark money uh, are don't able blame, to... Don't blame actors. Stop blaming actors. Yeah, actors in the, the legal sense rather than... Oh, uh, right, you know, okay. Actors have obviously never done anything bad ever. Uh, they just say other people's lines and stuff. Uh, that's amazing. But... Uh, the report found some really pretty damning stuff that uh, the UK government really should have been more on its toes uh, on these issues. And uh, it was delayed for a number of months by some chicanery within the House of Commons. And it's been stonewalled since. So uh, there's a number of us uh, are taking the UK government to court uh, for judicial review of uh, that decision and these decisions uh, going forward. So so I'm really involved in a huge range of stuff from 
very local politics to the the highfalutin stuff to the the macro stuff outside it's a fascinating job politics and that's why i'm in it to cycle right back to your original question mm-hmm. you know, in no other walk of life would i have such a broad range of issues to get across and and get into yeah that was very well said but who is leading this um this this uh, legal action who's leading it uh, well i'm one of six litigants uh, there's uh, a couple of Labour folks, uh, a Lib Dem, a Green, a Tory, uh, myself, uh, were being advised by Lee Day solicitors. And uh, the, the the lead action has been coordinated by uh, All the Citizens, which is a, a community charity pressure group, sort of lobby group. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got two QCs who are advising on the legal side of everything. So it's, uh, Joanna Cherry? Uh, no. No, it's not. It's uh, a, a couple of other folks who, their names aren't in the public domain yet, so probably shouldn't say. But No, uh, of course not. Um, but if you ever want advice, or whoever's leading it wants advice, um, they can come to me because I've been watching the series Suits on Netflix. And I, I think that's exactly the insight we need. Well, yeah, uh, I've learned so much. So they basically walk into a room with a file and go, we got them. And then they slam the file down. And we never find out what they've got on them, but they win the case and they, they win loads of money every time. See, 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 when I was a solicitor, that was the, exactly the approach I took to cases, and that's why I'm not a solicitor anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what was I going to say? Let me read my notes. Let me read my notes. It's very professional here at Adam Talks Podcast. Um, I was going to say, I've answered that one. Oh, th- this is the... Probably the most important question I'm going to ask. Oh what, the f- what the fuck is happening with your eyebrow? Why? What is it doing? <laughs> I don't know. If I controlled it, I'd, I'd have a better answer. It, it, it's always had a life of its own. Uh, it, <laughs> it expresses quizzic- a quizzical look on things. Yeah. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a political tool, it's been quite useful over the years to just be able to say, uh-huh, without actually saying anything. <laughs> but there's, there's pictures of me in my high chair when I was we reading my Tommy Tippy. Yeah. And I was not convinced that the spoon had jumped over the moon or whatever. I was sceptical <laughs> on that point. Ah, that's where it started. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a Twitter account for your eyebrow. I'm sure some. I'm sure I've seen it somewhere. Oh, really? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look. That Nothing would surprise me. Well, true, especially with Twitter. Uh, and finally, before you go, Alan, um, I was going to ask, Biden or Trump, who's going to get it? Uh, I, I thought you were asking me who I would vote for, in which case it's Biden a thousand times before uh, contemplate Mr. Trump. Uh, who's going to get it is another question. Uh, I, I, I had grave doubts, and I remember... Remember that the that US presidential election came really soon after the Brexit stuff. Oh, and it was yeah. just as we were getting our heads around the extent to which there was dodgy campaigning techniques used on social media and dark money and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff where really had a sinking feeling about where the Democrats were. And the, the Trump campaign was all about, never mind whether they're hating me, I'm taking up all the oxygen. And he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hillary Clinton's book... Uh, which actually here's a here's a prop. I have it right here on the on the, the bookshelf. Okay. Uh, it's one of the uh, best books she's one of the best books she's ever written, What Happened. And it's one of the best books she's written because it actually feels like it was written by a human being rather than most of her other books, which read like they'd been gone through a focus group and the rest of it. And 
she's very, very disarmingly honest about what went wrong with that campaign. And I'm concerned that the Democrats are potentially uh, going to, to miss the boat again. It, it, the polls look encouraging. But remember, under the US system, it's not a majority of the votes, same as we would understand it. You know, she did win a majority of the votes. She didn't win the votes in the Electoral College because of the distribution of the votes across the states. Yeah. So, so what that tells us is that Trump himself may be a, a, a dreadful individual, but he had the smarter team yeah. and the smarter yeah. techniques. And it, I think it remains to be seen yet whether that's the case this time round. And, and then the question about voter suppression, the question about will there be a peaceful handover of power, you know, all of these things are really, really concerning because, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in the States. I've got relatives, uh, close relatives in California and New Jersey, and the, the, the genie's out the bottle in the U.S. and, and, and U.S. politics. You know, the, the U.S. Is a, is, a, is a great country with some fantastic people in it, but it's a deeply troubled society. Uh, and, a, and a deeply troubled democracy as well. And, and, and a lot of the checks and balances have been weakened over the last four years, the institutions. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's nervy, but I do hope Biden wins. I certainly do, because I think Trump's done a lot of damage in four years. And that in another four years, I think he could complete a, a lot more of his project. That was answered like a true politician. Honest <laughs> to God. <laughs> That's like Shakespeare. So Shakespeare takes about three acts just to just to say one line i love you <laughs> do you know what well, I mean? well i could just say i don't know and <laughs> well, that's true. That then the conversation true. just moves on but doesn't no it doesn't really go anywhere well thank you very much alan smith uh, for joining me have you enjoyed it yeah great to see you good crack as ever well um i hope you nail it to them um when does that uh, lawsuit or whatever it is when does that uh, the, the papers are in with the High Court in London, uh, so that was done last week. The announcement is out uh, as of the last hour or so, embargoed for tomorrow, so by the time the podcast goes out, uh, it will be public knowledge. And uh, we'll see what uh, their, their lordships and their justices uh, actually make of it. But I think it's an important issue to ventilate, and I think it's uh, vital that we do do that. Awesome. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Alan Smith.